Welcome to the Mormon Mompreneur Podcast. Mormon Mompreneur is a home for women of faith who desire to be strengthened in motherhood and empowered in business. We thrive off of talking with other women with unique experiences and vision who have felt guided by the divine to bring about remarkable things at home and abroad. Welcome back to the Mormon Mompreneur Podcast. I am especially excited today to be sitting across from Charlie Holmberg. Now, you may not know Charlie Holmberg, but she has some big news up her sleeve. She's a big deal. And if you don't know the name Charlie Holmberg, here's a little bit about her. So she was born in Salt Lake City, but she did go to BYU, so we'll cheer that on. (laughs) She's also the author of Followed by Frost, Magic Bitter, Magic Sweet, and the Paper Magician Trilogy, which includes the Paper Magician, the Glass Magician, and the Master Magician. A Rita Award finalist, she majored in English and minored in editing at Brigham Young University. Raised a Trekkie, same as me, woohoo, we're friends, alongside three sisters who also have boy names. Charlie plays the piano and ukulele, owns too many pairs of glasses, and hopes to one day adopt a dog. For more on Charlie and her work, visit www.charlieholmberg.com, and we will be posting that on our blog so people can find out a little bit more about you. So Charlie, other than you being a Trekkie, there's some other really great things about you and we're happy to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Now, can you just be really honest with us? Right now when we're recording this, it's 2017. How old are you? (laughs) I just turned 29. 29. Okay. So how in the world did this happen that you're 29 and you already have a slew of books out there? They're available on Amazon. How in the world did this happen? You're living the dream. A lot of hard work and dedication, and I have no other hobbies, so... (laughs) No other hobbies besides collecting glasses, right? Yes. (laughs) So I think one of the biggest challenges in the whole writing world is because of the internet and because of ebooks and so many platforms, there are millions, well, I'm probably way undershooting this, millions and millions of choices as far as what to read. So how in the world have you made your mark? Um, So I've been really fortunate. I mean, yeah, today's age, it's really easy to self-publish, which has opened a lot of doors for a lot of writers. Um, I'm a traditionally published author, which means that I went through an agent and I went through a publisher. But I think the biggest thing for me is that I, my publisher is 47 North, so they're a branch of Amazon, which is kind of a powerhouse. And when I had my first book coming out, they put me on something called Kindle First, which means anyone who has Amazon Prime can get the book a month early for free. And I guess it was just the right timing and the right lineup for that kind of book because for that free month, I had a ton of downloads. I had over 100,000 downloads of that book. And so the word of it got out like really well before the book actually even became open to the general public. And I think because of just the marketing powerhouse that I had behind that book, I was able to start off on a really good foot as a debut author. That's incredible. So, I mean, there is no 
there's no question that Amazon pretty much rules the world. At least it rules my world. I'm an Amazon Prime member, <laughs> aren't we all? Yeah. So being connected with something like Amazon is a really, really big deal, but it still had to be quality. It still had to be engaging for it to gain traction. Because you don't make, do you make money when there's 100,000 downloads for free? Or how does that work with Amazon? Um, with Kindle first, I would get um, like a stipend, like we'll pay you this much money to have your book downloadable for free. So I don't make, I don't make royalties off the free downloads, but honestly, I don't mind <laughs> because, you know, I didn't have a readership at all. And then all of a sudden they have 100,000 people who have my book. It's like, yeah, take it. <laughs> it's fine. Absolutely. And there, there's no question that Amazon has the reach that you're looking for in something like that. So tell me this, which book was this that you published with Amazon first that sort of launched your career? It was The Paper Magician, which is still my most popular one. Still your most popular, but the entire trilogy, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was just the first book that was launched then. But yeah, the trilogy are, is my most popular right now. Fantastic. So how how did you get it published? You said your publisher is 47th North. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. 47th North, yeah. So how did you, did you go through the whole submitting tons and tons of manuscripts to different publishers? Did you get lucky yeah. and get your first one? Tell me about it. Um, so The Paper Magician is the ninth book I wrote that I finished. And uh, I had been querying agents for about three years at that point. And I sent it to Marlene Stringer, who is my current agent, and she picked it up, for which made me super happy. <laughs> and um, she's the one who submitted it to publishers. And we actually sold it pretty quickly. So that was also very fortunate, which is also surprising because The Paper Magician is a really short book for young adult fantasy especially when I actually sold it. It's 10,000 words longer now than it was when I sold it, but it's short. And so I'm surprised that it even got picked up. But yeah, I mean, I had to go through all the rejections and everything. I have a lot of books that got shelved. There are some that I finished that I didn't even bother querying. You know, I have a lot of rejection letters. I made a quilt out of them, actually. <laughs> Did you really? You made a quilt I, out of your rejection letters? Mm-hmm. <laughs> out of all the unique ones, because sometimes you'll query somebody and they just have a form rejection that says, dear author, here's a long paragraph that we send to everybody we hate. Love this agent. Oh so I had made a quilt out of each unique one that I had. I used to staple them to the wall of my cubicle when I worked as a as an editor. Oh, my word. So I'm sitting here envisioning that you wrote a book in three months, then you found your wonderful agent, and then you got it published. And then 100,000 downloads later, here you are sitting across on this podcast, and you're a big deal, and <laughs> all this stuff. But that's not true. We're talking three years of trying to get this book, many books in the right hand. Many yeah, so because I, I had been writing, I wanted to be an author since I was 13. I didn't start taking it seriously until I was 19. I didn't actually finish a book until I was 19. And um, that was a really long, really terrible book that reads like a Japanese RPG video game. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, and so I see, I, I queried my second book because I was taking a class from Brandon Sanderson at the time, and as part of our final, we were required to send a query out. I had never done it before, and so I did, 
and I got a rejection. I think I only sent out a few queries with that one because most of my books, I would I would submit them, and then after a while, I'd be like, you know, I don't think this book is good enough, so I don't think anyone else will either. And so I would just write another book, and then I'd query that one a little bit more, and then be like, meh, and then I'd go to another book and, and fit, write that and query it a little bit more, you know, up until I wrote The Paper Magician, and I started querying that one. I think I wrote it in, like, November or December, and I queried it in... I'm trying to remember when the Renaissance Festival is in Moscow, Idaho, because that's when I heard back from Marlene. It was March or April, I think, when I first heard back from her. Wow. So where are all of those books that didn't quite make the cut? Where are they? They are in the dumpster fire of my hard drive. Ooh. So you're not going to be sharing those at this point. Well, well, actually, one of them is Followed by Frost. I wrote Followed by Frost before I wrote Paper Magician but it got published after. Cause that one I thought was good enough. That's still my favorite one, but all the other ones, I don't think are ever going to see the light of day. Oh my word. So do you feel like part of the process was necessary for you to kind of understand what was good and what was not like, what was mentally going through your mind for three years when you were hearing no, 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 no. What have you learned from that? Well, honestly, like until I started writing, like I think until The Paper Magician, because that's the one that I had the most confidence in, a lot of the times I just agreed with the rejections. Sometimes you would get a personalized one and they, say, they would say, this is the reason that we that we didn't connect with it. I'm like, oh yeah, that's good. Or it's like, oh yeah, I'm over that book now. <laughs> but honestly, my mindset was always, well, all these really great authors, like, you know, like J.K. Rowling, for example, they have huge stacks of rejection letters before they got published. And so I thought, well, I can't get published until I earn my stack. And so it was like, you know, like candy for me. Whenever I got a reply, at least at the beginning, I always expected it to be a no. But I wanted to earn my, my stack so I could get published. Do you <laughs> I felt think... Like I'm, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt there. Do you think that that is necessary for authors today? I think it is good for authors today because I mean there are some authors who who sell their first book. Um, my best friend sold the second book she ever wrote. I think Stephanie Meyer sold her first book. I'm not sure but I think Twilight was her first. Um, you know and there's some authors who do like they're just really good at it. You know if you read my first book you'd be like claw my eyes out this is awful. But I think it's good for you, honestly, to not just have it handed to you, to not have it be easy, because you appreciate it a lot more and you work a lot harder and your writing just gets better. Wonderful. So so I've got to jump into one question that we actually had a listener, because I think this is the perfect segue, because she wants to be you in so many ways. <laughs> okay, her name is Amanda, and I she know. lives somewhere in the West. Okay, and Amanda has a book, has written a book. She doesn't give a lot of details about it. But Amanda asks, she says, it seems like the writing world is fiercely competitive, but more so all about who you know. I don't know how to get my start. I don't know how to go about getting my book seen, especially because I have no connections. And that seems to be the most important thing. Okay, so... I'm going to say right now, you don't need connections. I didn't have any. I mean, I knew one author, but I didn't use him at all to get published, especially other authors aren't really going to help you anyway. But um, Marlene, like I had never met her. I'd only queried her once before and it was actually with Followed by Frost, which she rejected, <laughs> but later represented. Haha. -ha. Um, 
But I, I got my agent and everything through just cold querying. Nobody knew who I was. You know, I just sent out my my query letter and, you know, had my fingers crossed. After a while, I think a few agents did start recognizing my name because it's like, oh, hey, this is the sixth book I've sent to you. You know, and they're like, oh, hey, you're getting better. And here's, you know, what, why I'm still not accepting it. But you can break in just by cold querying. If you want to make connections, I definitely recommend you go to writing conferences. The biggest thing that you'll hear about writing professionally is that you cannot write in a box. You can't just hide up right in a room, write a book, and expect it to get published. Writing is a community. You have to have other people read your book and tell you what to fix about it. I always have two groups of people read my, each of my books, and then I take their feedback and I fix it before I ever send it out. You know, you have to... You have to read books on writing. You have to go to classes on writing. You have to interact, which I know is hard because I think 99% of all writers are introverts. <laughs> but, you know, I definitely recommend going to writing conferences. And if you go to a lot of the bigger ones or, if you know, if you were a Utah local, local I know LDS Storymakers has agents and editors come in. And that way you can network if you want to network because, I mean, it never hurts. If you can write a query to an agent or an editor and say, hey, I met you here, if you remember me, like that automatically makes you stand out from the slush pile, as we call it. But you like you don't have to make connections, but you can't you can't just sit in a box and expect something magical to happen. It seems like the whole community has changed mainly because of the internet and just the availability of books. And so there has to be something that makes you a little bit more distinctive. And what do you think was the final piece of your Paper Magician book that really brought it to the next level that made it a yes to your publishers? Um, so when I wrote The Paper Magician, right before I wrote it, I read the book Save the Cat by Blake Snyder. It's a screenwriting book, and I definitely recommend it to anybody who is writing because it's just really good with plotting like with getting your plot just how you want it. And I followed that formula when I wrote The Paper Magician. And I think that definitely made my book stronger. There was a lot less meandering going on in the plot and it made it a lot tighter. I also think that I kind of lucked out with the magic system in The Paper Magician. I think that's what makes it the most interesting is that, you know, I came up with a magic system that my editor at least tells me was like really good. <laughs> like I don't want to toot my own horn, <laughs> but you know it was interesting and it's different. And so I I participated in pitch wars for three years in a row. That's a an online contest for people who are trying to get agents where you submit like the first chapter of your work to mentors who are usually other authors, and they'll like select an author and they will help them get their manuscript ready over two months, and then the manuscript is presented to this agent round, and agents will make requests. And, and it's a really good way to get, you know, authors in front of agents. And in that, like, we have to read through all these submissions, you know, and figure out, okay, what book do I want to represent? And the biggest thing that stands out from them isn't, like, bad writing. Like, prose that people have is generally pretty good. It's just the ideas. A lot of people write inside the box. Like, I, there was one year where I think 60% of the entries I had were supernatural crime fighting. Or a lot of people write about vampires. Or a lot of people will write about um, elemental magic systems. You know, it's like, well, I've seen this already, so you don't stand out. So it's about trying to get, like, creative and trying to stand out from the crowd, and that gets you noticed. 
That is really interesting because you do see that all of a sudden, um, and I'm not mocking any form of book, but you see a very popular vampire book come out and then all of a sudden you see 30 more and a TV series and et cetera, et cetera, that we kind of go in themes and, and people are you know trying to recreate um, those kinds of things. Now, you talked about this um, really unique part of the, mag- the, excuse me, the paper magician um, about the magic. So for people that have not read your book, tell us what's so great about this. <laughs> okay, so the magic in the paper magician is it's about people who do magic with man-made materials. So things like paper, rubber, glass, um, metal alloys, um, fire, but only if it's man-made fire, you know, etc. So these people can basically bond to one material, and in the paper magician, it's paper, and then you can do spells and manipulate like origami and make it come to life or make it do other magical things. And so... That started because I wanted to have magical origami, and I was like, okay, how can I, I want this to be part of something bigger, so what is special about paper that I could expand? And I thought, well, paper's man-made. And then the whole, you know, uh, antagonistic part of the book is that, well, people are also man-made, so what if there were magicians who could do magic using, like, human flesh? Wow. Wow. Okay. So we've got a lot of people that are now on Amazon.com and typing in the paper (laughs) magician and wanting to check this out. So what I love about this and what you were saying before is that you've you've got to think outside the box. And there's no um, there's no reason to to not talk about how your faith plays into this that God has made us to be extraordinary and we believe in spiritual gifts and that those are aware. How has your, your belief system and your relationship with God impacted your writing or your ideas or how, how has that come together? Oh man, that's a hard question to answer. Cause you know, I feel like, I mean, he's always been there, you know, like I've always felt like I hate I hate saying nice things about myself, but I've always felt like you're I'm on the creative. podcast. It's required. You gotta say it. You don't you say know, it, or I'll say it. <laughs> you know, I, I I really feel like you know any talent that I have came from God. You know, I always thank Him in all of my acknowledgments and everything. You know, and I get night a lot of times. You know, I pray it's like you know like help me to write the right book. You know, help me to you know do well with this, but. You know, I think it's definitely a huge part of it. I mean, I talk about faith in my books, too, and it's not always like, you know, Mormon doctrine. Like in The Paper Magician, they talk about how, you know, just because and like this is, again, not Mormon doctrine, but just because you don't like me in a in a church every Sunday doesn't mean you don't believe in something, you know. And so, like, I mean, that definitely influences what I write. But, you know, I don't know, because I. It would be easier if there was like a before and after, like, oh, I wrote this book when I was like inactive and not caring. And I wrote this book when I was, you know, but, you know, it's always just kind of been there. You know, it's always been an influence. So it really is a unique space in which you are trying to appeal to the masses for sure. I mean, your book isn't a religious book or it's not under the religion category. You know, it's an entertainment book and and all those kinds of things. But do you feel like you have found space and ways to to teach truth and to teach gospel principles within your space? You know, 
the way that I feel like that I can use my space is not so much. When I sit down and write a book, I don't think, oh, I'm going to teach people this gospel principle all sneakily. You know, like when I sit down to write a book, I just think I'm going to sit down and write a really good story. But I think something that it has opened up is because, you know, I write stories that, you know, some people like. <laughs> um it makes them like look me up. Like I've seen myself posted on some Christian blogs before and, or um, I know like in all of my social media bios, I always say that I'm LDS. Like I don't hide it. You know, it's a, it's a big part of who I am. And I think that that, that helps open doors for, you know, potential missionary work or, you know, to talk about maybe like what I believe in or, you know, somebody who might be a big fan might, you know, look further into it. And so I think that it's more of a tool that way than in a tool of like, you know, secretly preaching through my prose. <laughs> Absolutely. And interesting with the paper magician, one of the great things that I love about it is that I'm not afraid to to read it. It's quality, it's appropriate, it's, I mean, all of those different things. Like, I don't ever feel edgy on on what's happening. And I think that, in a way, is speaking about what you believe that we can be fully entertained and there can be a wonderful story when when everything is on the up and up as far as the values of how it's written. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I totally believe that you can write a good story that doesn't have, you know, cursing and sex and violence in it. You know, and I'm, I'm a member of the Deep Magic Easing Board too, and that's a, a science fiction and fantasy magazine that also publishes clean, clean fiction. And a lot of the stories that we have are really good. Whereas, you know, a lot of things in, like, Hollywood and stuff, it's, oh, let's just keep raising the this, like, crude factor. It's like, oh, let's have more sex. Let's have more violence to make it more interesting to people when it's like you don't really need that. I mean, there's a reason Pride and Prejudice is so popular and nothing dirty or, or you know, cringeworthy ever happens in that story. It's, it's about good storytelling. It's not about the shock factor. Have you ever been in a position where you felt pressured to add things like that not yet no and if I ever was I'd be like what else? <laughs> you know? but I mean at this point in time I do have a brand and I don't think any publisher who was smart would ask me to include stuff like that because you know it would break the trust I have with my readership because they expect something from me absolutely and that thing that they expect for you is quality a quality story without be nervous who they're reading it with or reading aloud to or or anything like that. So super impressive. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Oh, I'm just really impressed with that. I, I think there are a lot of pressures that way. So um, one of your dear friends, a little bird, came and talked to me a little bit about you and told me that you have some really big kind of news that's happened with, with Disney. Am I right? Yes. Now, I yeah. haven't investigated this because I want it to come live across the podcast. So what is going on? Um, so last year, Disney bought the film rights for the Paper, Magi Paper Magician Trilogy. Um, and so, like, they have that. I hope they make a movie. When you buy film rights, it doesn't mean you have to. It just means nobody else can make a movie. But I know that they have um, a producer in mind, and I believe that they have a screenwriter. Uh, that's all I know. I'm not involved in the movie at all. You know, so 
you know, like actually when, when it leaked, I didn't even know it was going to leak. And I was reading this article on the Hollywood reporter and it's like, Oh, so-and-so is slated to produce the movie. I'm like, really? <laughs> I had no idea, <laughs> you know? And so it gets, I'm very hands off with the movie, but I, I'm, I'm really excited about it. It would be amazing if it actually happened. How did this even happen? Did, were you trying to sell the rights to it or did some Disney producer read it and say, I want this, you know, in our library. You know, I, I'm not a totally sure. <laughs> I know that there there's a film agent that works with my agency. And I don't know if Disney contacted them or if they contacted Disney. I believe Disney contacted him. Um, I just got a phone call at one time from Marlene that says, by the way, Disney's thinking about acquiring the rights for this. And I was like, but huh? Like the one with the mouse? That Disney? <laughs> you know? And so, I mean, it was a really slow process. Like, I found out about that more than a year, I think, before it ever became public knowledge. And so when people are like, why aren't you more excited about this? I'm like, it's been very gradual. <laughs> like, I've known for a while that it might happen. Okay, and now it, it might happen a little more, and it might happen a little more, you know. But it is a, an amazing opportunity for sure. Well, I'm intrigued by this process a little bit, and I know we have a lot of listeners that are wanting to write or wanting to, you know, kind of follow the path that you have followed. So how does it work? I don't know if you can talk about this. Can you talk about how the rights contract process works and how, is it a flat payment? Is it a royalty payment? Is it, you can't, like, how does that work? Well, it's like, it's not that I can't talk about it. It's just that I'm not that smart in that area, which is why I have an agent who does it for me. But um, it really depends. Every contract is different. You know, there are some things where, like, oh, I can, I mean, I can tell you that if Disney makes a movie, it, I get a one-time payment. I'm not going to get royalties. Disney's too big to pay royalties out to me. You know, that'd be sweet. I'd be like, well, I'm going to go buy myself a Hawaiian island. <laughs> you know? But, um, you know, every contract is different. They'll, you know, every contract has, you know, different period of time that they have the rights for, you know, they'll pay different amount of money or pay it a different way. You know, it's like I get paid differently if they make a stage play than if they make a movie. For example, it was an 80 page contract. (laughs) It had a lot of details. I mean, it even said like, oh, you don't have any rights to name any amusement park rides. I'm like, I didn't even think about that. But, you know, they have to include it all in there for, you know, legality. Absolutely. So, I'm sure they've got a team of people that get that all figured out and on the up and up for sure. <laughs> well, that is huge news. And we congratulate you on some really, really big things. So I, so I want to transition a little bit into maybe your more personal life. All um, my secrets. All your secrets. Tell me a little bit about your, what does your day to day look like as an author and all of your different roles and as a primary chorister, right? (laughs) Um, So right now it's pretty nice. So my husband's going back to school right now. So he's home a lot of the time. So right now I have, I work in the morning while he takes care of the kids. I have two children and then I take care of the kids while he does homework and such in the afternoon. And then in the evening we're all together. I have an assistant who comes in twice a week to help out with things um so it depends like right now I'm just editing I'm editing two books at once because I thought I'd be funny and draft two books at once in January (laughs) Uh, and so I just sit down you know and it's like I work on a book I work on an edit or I have to you know update my website or it's funny when like Twitter is part of your job (laughs) so I have to you know get on social media and all that 
And then I go and I play with my kids. I have a son who's nine months and my daughter is three years old. You know, and that's pretty much, you know, it's pretty standard. I, that's my usual day. Sometimes I get to, you know, go to conferences or go teach a class or present at a school or something. And that's always fun. But, you know, it's not, it's not super crazy, you know. So what does your husband think of all this? Oh, I'm sure he likes it. <laughs> no, he, I think, I mean, he, I mean, he's used to it now, but I think he was, he was pretty amazed. He's always been really supportive of, of me. He, he read all my books before I was ever published, you know, and he would give me feedback and he's been, he's been really sweet about all of it. So though he did say, it's like, I've been working my whole life to support my family and I don't even need to, <laughs> you know, cause like right now I'm the breadwinner in the family cause he's going back to school. And so does that but, put any pressure on you to be the breadwinner? Um, I don't feel pressure from it. I really love what I do, you know, and so far it's been going well. And so I'm never too worried, but when you are a writer, you don't have a salary. You don't have an hourly pay. You just hope your book does well and you make a percentage of how well that book does. So if anything ever happened and I had, and you know, my career tanked, which could happen because it really is, you know, every day your, your career is a little different Then I mean, that would, could be scary. But, you know, we have, you know, we have our savings, we have our food storage, just in case, you know. And if the worst ever happened, I mean, he has a master's degree in, in something else. <laughs> so he could always go back to work. But So did you, so he obviously worked before, and yes. then you kind of hit it big, and then that's when he decided that he would go back to school? Is that how you made that decision, is because so, it was rolling? I I sold Paper Magician when he was getting his master's degree at the University of Idaho, and we just worked simultaneously because I can work at home. And so I would just, you know, I took care of the kids, and when this is before I had my second one, and whenever my daughter went to sleep, I would work on my books. And, you know, this is how it was for a while. And he started just not he didn't, he didn't enjoy his job. And I think it was when he was still getting his master's degree that he thought, I don't know if this is actually what I want to do, but I mean, he finished his master's degree and he had a job and he worked there for two years and he, you know, would come home just, you know, a little downtrodden because he just didn't enjoy what he was doing. And I told him, you know, if you want to do something else, you can, we, you know, like I make enough money that you could quit your job and do something else if you wanted to. And we talked about it for a while and then, you know, prayed about it a lot and ultimately decided, okay, that's what we're going to do. And I would tease him and say, oh, you can be my house husband. <laughs> and it actually, it worked out. The timing worked out really well because I think he quit his job when our son was a couple months old. And, you know, he was still sleeping all day. But as we all know, babies start sleeping less and less. And it would be really hard for me to stay on top of my work if I was taking care of two kids. Because, like, oh, well, one takes a nap, but the other one's still awake. I would never have time to work. And so with him being home more, it just kind of balanced everything out. And he's doing a lot better. He's discovered a love for chemistry that he didn't know he had. And so that's what he's studying. And it's it's worked out really well for us, you know. It, it was scary at first, especially for him. But, you know, you follow the Lord's plan and it'll all work out in the end. That is so yes. amazing. Like, I just think so many people are going to love seeing that everybody takes a different path. And you certainly, when you get married and you meet this handsome man, you just have no idea what your life is going to look like. And the only way is to... He is very looking. Yes, <laughs> yes. You just have no, no idea how it's going to turn out. And so you turn to the Lord. I think that's great. So I, I just think people are going to love 
everything that you've talked to us about. I have one last question for you. And that is, how do you, I, I should say, how did you maybe before all of this success took off? And I know that there is day-to-day maintenance and you're writing and progressing and I'm not downplaying that at all. How did you retain self-confidence in yourself and a love for yourself through so many no's? Oh, uh, I don't know. I mean, everybody has like issues with self-esteem at some point in their life. I think I hit mine kind of early, but oh, I don't know. That's a hard question. I mean, for me, I'm a big believer in like the American dream, right? And so like my parents were always super hardworking. And so I feel like I had, you know, a good sense of hardworking of whatever you call that, you know, <laughs> like growing up. And I, I don't know, in my head, I always knew I was going to make it. It was just a matter of when. I always, I always felt that if I kept working at this, I'm going to achieve it because that's just, you know, how, how I think. It's like if you, I feel like anybody, if they want anything, if they work hard enough, they can achieve it, you know. And so, like, I never doubted myself because of that. Like, I mean, there would be every now and then, you know, an evening where where something happened or I got, you know, really bad feedback from from one of my friends, and I'd be like, oh, this is hard. But I never thought, oh, I'm done. I'm not going to do the same work. So I always just thought, well, I'll just fix it and I'll, or I'll write another book, you know? And then I always knew I was going to make it. So I, I actually, there was only ever one rejection I got that made me really mad. And it was on the paper magician too. And the reasons they gave me for rejecting it, it made no sense. They're like, oh, well, I can see the book's going to go this direction. I'm like, but it doesn't, <laughs> you know? And I was just like so mad because I felt like, you know, I don't know, I guess I had been treated, like, I wasn't treated fairly, but then, like, a week later is when I signed with Marlene, so I was like, take that. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> you know? Marlene. Yeah, and I always felt like, and I don't know how Christian this is, but I always felt like, you know, like, anybody who ever, like, would doubt me or, like, you know, wasn't kind to me, I was always like, you know what, I don't have to, like, fight with you or be part of this, I'll just be more successful than you one day. <laughs> And I was like, if I just keep working hard, I'll just be more successful than you. And that'll show you. <laughs> I think you're going to have a lot of women that are like, Charlie and I are twins. Because they probably <laughs> feel that same way. <laughs> Sometimes all it takes is for someone to say, you can't do this. And it just lights a fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, Charlie, you are awesome. Well, we are excited to watch even further, further success. And we have no doubt the amount of work and effort you've put into it. And I just want to thank you on behalf of me as a mom, I've got three kids, of just putting out quality material that's safe to read, that I can have in my house and not be nervous. And that that may seem like a small de- deal to you, but to moms across the world, it's a really big deal. So thank you for standing for something and creating something that we can all enjoy. And I appreciate you joining us today for this podcast. Well, thank you so much. I've had a fun time. Thank you for joining us on the Mormon Mompreneur podcast. Check out our other episodes and learn from other women of faith, motherhood, and business as they share their unique stories and experiences. Go to www.mormonmompreneur.com or the iTunes store to learn more.